that we're thinking today about head and heart application. I won't be working through a passage like I normally do, bringing in bits and pieces of different verses and I guess big theological thoughts as well. How about we pray? Uh, Heavenly Father, please do, as we uh, think together, um, draw from your scriptures on how we are to hear and apply your word. Uh, Please do tune our heads and hearts to eternal realities. Uh, Please do help us to be humble hearers who tremble before you and who change as we ought in response to your holy word. In the Lord Jesus, amen. We read the Bible to understand it, but understanding it isn't nearly enough. The Bible is not a book to be read and understood. It is a book to read and understand so we can change. The change it calls for is about more than what we do. It's not even mainly about what we do. It's about thinking and confidence and actions and emotions. It touches every aspect of who we are. God speaks the Bible to us and we must hear and heed him. Believe what he says, trust what he promises, obey what he commands. Understanding the Bible isn't nearly enough. The Bible is a book to read and understand so we can change. But most of us know how easy it is to know what God commands but not obey him. To know what God promises but not be confident in him. To know what God says about reality and to think and live as if something else is true. How can we bridge the gap? Well, the first thing to say is that he bridges the gap. Our change is God's work. It doesn't tell us how to change and then send us away so that over here we can do the change. He changes us. He changes us through his living and active word. He speaks the Bible to us and he works by his spirit through his word. He convinces and convicts and directs and shapes his people through his word. We cannot change ourselves. We need God to change us. We need God to work faith and repentance and to grow faith and repentance. From beginning to end, the Christian life is God's work in us. Part of progress is despairing of making progress by your own strength. Despairing of making progress by your own strength and leaning into God to do the work in you. Hearing his word, trusting him to work. God doesn't tell us how to change and send us away to change. Our change is God's work. But at the same time, we are actively involved 
in our change. I say we're involved because God commands us to change. He tells us to change. Uh, Through Peter, he calls us to make every effort to expand out from faith, adding virtue and knowledge and self-control and steadfastness and a bunch of other things. Uh, Through Paul, he says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your minds. Uh, Again, through Paul, Colossians, uh, uh, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. Uh, and, And he says, put on as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, bearing with one another. And if one has complained against the other, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must forgive. Our change is God's work. And at the same time, we are actively involved in our change. That involvement is by prayerfully hearing and hating God who speaks. Prayerfully hearing and hating God who speaks the Bible to us. So you see, we we must pray because we need his enabling. We must work at understanding the Bible because, as we'll see, God speaks to our minds and works through our minds into the rest of us. But there is more to us than what we understand and think. We are people whose heads and hearts are, have, have complex interactions of thoughts and conscience and will and passions. What we understand as God speaks the Bible to us must press in and reshape our thoughts and our conscience, our will, our passions, our, our heads and hearts. So I want to focus today on applying God's word to our heads and hearts. In the Bible's language, really, it's just heart. I've shared this quote with you before a year or so ago. Um, J.I. Packer uh, writes about how the Bible uses the word heart. It's not the bloody, the, it's not the body's blood pump, but the center and focus of our inner personal life. The source of motivation, the seat of passion, the spring of all thought processes, and particularly of conscience. The Bible uses the word heart to speak about the center of ourselves. It includes things that we tend to think of as brain and head activities, uh, motives, thoughts, decisions, as well as what we tend to think of as heart activities, Conscience, passion, desire. Because we tend to separate them, uh, we've been using that phrase head and heart routinely to talk about what, what we want, look to God to work in us. It's an attempt to keep thoughts and conscience and will and passions together as targets of God's words as he works by his spirit to change us. As part of preparing today, I revisited a chapter from uh, Murray Cappell's preaching book, The Heart is the Target. Uh, I mention that because uh, the categories, thoughts, conscience, will, passions, and yeah, this diagram uh, come are based basically from his book. 
A rebellious head and heart thinks its own thoughts, has a conscience which is out of step with what God approves and disapproves, and a will which decides and says and does as if it is its own best guide, all driven by passions which are out of step with reality. I often make the comment that you know, what the heart desires, the will chooses, the mind justifies. All heart stuff, not a packer. Uh, but we can use these four words uh, to say the same sort of thing. The passions want something or someone, and the will follows passion's desire to make a choice. And the thoughts come up with reasons why, it's a good desire. So they can tell the conscience, hey, it's okay to do what the passions desire. Thankfully, that's not the only way it works, but it is one anatomy of how sin can work. There are other ways these four aspects of our heads and hearts interact, and I'll talk about those as we look at each of them. First, our thoughts. As we hear God speak the Bible, he speaks to our minds. He teaches and corrects us. He tells us truth, new and true things. He reveals reality to minds that are blind to the truth. He reveals it so that we can think what is good and true. Our thinking is the doorway to our inner being. So Paul rebukes the Corinthian church for acting as if understanding is somehow less less spiritual. He wrote to them so they could would understand. He told them to value understandable speech because understandable speech builds people up. To those who were sinning with a, a clear conscience without feeling guilty... He wrote understandable words in order to inform and reshape their conscience. To those who were deciding and doing as if they were their own best guides, he wrote understandable words to inform and redirect their will. To those whose passion was money or sex or power or prestige, he wrote understandable words to inform and redirect their passions. See, our our thinking is the doorway to our inner being. It's not spiritual to bypass the mind or to bypass our thoughts. And none of what I'm saying today should undermine your desire to hear and understand what God says in the Bible and to work hard at understanding what God says in the Bible. Applications must flow from the scriptures. They must be found in the text that God speaks to us. Not added on, uh, not picked up out of the air. But the applications must be found. See, this is what I care about most in relation to discipleship groups. Uh, number, gender, meeting time, how long we meet for, that sort of thing. They aren't the main thing. The main thing is to make sure we understand the passage that has been preached with general application in order to help one another identify personal 
and focused applications that arise from the text. How we might structure those groups, that's rattling out slowly. But now, and however we wind up tweaking them, or changing them, keep aiming to make sure you understand the passage that has been preached with general application in order to help one another identify personal and focused applications that arise out of the text. See, there's a very real danger of Bible study groups replacing submission with discussion. We ought always to be submitting to God who speaks the Bible, and that means change. But we can discuss the Bible with no thought of change. And that's not okay. That's why I keep encouraging you to spend a lot of your discussion time on implications. It's better to make sure you understand the passage fairly well and then devote most of your energy to seeing how what you've understood can inform and reshape your thoughts and conscience and will and passions. And then to be prayerfully supporting one another and helping one another think through, how can I continue with that shaping? Dependence on God who works in us. I should also say that understanding a passage doesn't mean that our thoughts have changed. And our thoughts do need to change. A perfectly valid focus to come away from a passage is to say, I didn't think that and I need to think it now. To recognize wrong thoughts and to hold on to true thoughts that God speaks. See, that intellectual understanding of God and ourselves, of one another and everyone else, of the world we live in and the unseen realities, that intellectual understanding, our thoughts, are the doorway to our conscience and will and passions. Our thoughts come first, but we must always go further. We need to push the truth God reveals into our conscience and our will and our passions. Conscience in the Bible is that inner sense of what's right and wrong. You know, guilt about what's wrong. A sense of honor and righteousness about what's right. The conscience is the smoke alarm of the heart. It's there to tell you uh, when to stop what you're doing. Uh, like most people, we have a smoke alarm uh, down the hall from our kitchen. Uh, occasionally we'll open the oven and smoke bellows out and the alarm blares. We don't leave the house. We kind of flap around uh, and make, uh, until the noise stops. It's annoying. But it's better than what happens when there's a smoke alarm with no batteries. Without batteries, a fire could rage and the alarm wouldn't chirp. We'd sleep on unwarned. Some people's consciences smell smoke when there is none to smell. Their conscience goes off and makes them feel guilty when they've done nothing wrong. Other people's consciences are like smoke alarms with no batteries. They can do absolute evil but feel zero guilt. Part of God's good work by his spirits through his word is to give life to dead consciences. 
so that again they begin to go off and give warning and to reshape those consciences so that they react to the things they ought to react to. Now, to touch on this, it's not safe to go against conscience. It's not safe even when the act itself is nothing. One place Paul talks about that is when he, talk, when he describes attitudes to food in Romans chapter 14. It's not safe to go against conscience because if your conscience is screaming that God is against this and you choose to do it anyway, you're treating God like he is not your best guide. It's not safe to go against conscience. Nor is it safe to go with conscience against the word of God. I'm thinking about you know that, that guy with his mother and his stepmother in one Corinthians chapter five. Uh, I guess all, all the New Testament letters where, where there are uh, where Paul is writing or the other writers are writing and saying these are things you must not do. These are things you must do. Correcting consciences. Consciences. Our conscience may not be a reliable guide but it can become one. Our conscience needs to change. Our focus from some passages will be to see that our conscience has been out of tune with reality and to hold that under the light of God's word so that it reacts when it ought to react. Our conscience needs to change. And our conscience needs to fail. Perhaps the focus from some passages will just be to feel guilty and to feel guiltier rather than try to shut, shut it down. To feel guilty because God's word is giving fresh life to our conscience about something we should be feeling guilty about. Where we've acted or where we've failed to act. God's word informs and reshapes our thoughts. It must push into our conscience so that we feel it. And it must push, also push into our will. The part of us that chooses and decides and does. We must push into our will the part of us which chooses and decides and does. God often calls us to action. He says, be doers of the word and not just hearers. He calls us to action. He says, choose, decide, do. Not the things on those lists of vices. Don't do those. But instead, those things on lists of virtues. Do those. Choose, decide, do. Love unbelievers toward salvation. Love Christian brothers and sisters toward their perseverance and growth. Choose, decide, do. Our wills need to submit. To trust our Father that he truly is our best guide. Our focus from some passages will be to change our plans and to pursue those new plans with determination. Or perhaps to keep our plans and patterns and to pursue them with fresh determination. God's word informs and reshapes our thoughts. It must push into our conscience so that we feel it and redirect our will so that we choose what is best. Thoughts, conscience, will. The other core aspect of our heads and hearts is our passions. We feel things deeply. We love and hate, hope and fear, rejoice and grieve. 
long for some things, pull back violently from other things. We have deep passions, strong drives, powerful affections. They have the power to dominate our thoughts, our conscience, and our will. Think the gambler who knows his addiction is bringing him to financial ruin and relational ruin, but he cannot stop. Or think of the porn addict who, who knows that humans made in God's image are abused for his entertainments, but does not stop. Again, uh, against all reason and with the guiltiest of conscience, the passions take control of the hearts. What the passions desire, the will chooses, the thoughts explain away, and the conscience stays calm. Biblical Christianity works the opposite way. The controlling influence is our thoughts. Well, not our thoughts. The controlling influence is the thoughts we think as God speaks them to us. Those new and renewed thoughts work through our conscience and our will uh, to change and redirect and give life to new passions. Over time, God works new desires, new hopes, new dreams that drive us. Love for God ought to be first and central. A love for him which controls, which comes to dominate every other passion. See, desire for uh, the good life in this world, for comfort and convenience, safety and security, pleasure and prestige, must not control us. Desire and pursuit of relationships, achievement, hobbies and goals may have their place but far beneath the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ. Our passions need to be redirected and re-energized. Our focus from some passages will be to see where a passion has been a wrong priority. Perhaps a good thing has become a, a God thing. But applying the text is not simply a matter of seeing a wrong passion to reject, or, or a good passion to pursue. We can and must push God's word into that corner of, of our heads and hearts, our passions, so that it, God's word weakens our affections for things that fade and fail, and strengthens our affections for the Lord who never fails. Or push God's word into a sin that has been a passion until we hate it that we once loved. And are taught by God to long for godliness and holiness, which once held no interest. How? Through our renewed thoughts, directed at our consciences and wills and passions, with the prayer that God will change us, that God will work by his Spirit through his Word. We read the Bible to understand it, but understanding it isn't nearly enough. 
The Bible is not a book to read and understand. It is a book to read and understand so we can change. Our change is God's work. He works by his spirit through his word. We are involved, actively involved in our change as we prayerfully work at understanding and applying his word to our heads and hearts. Application includes uh, applying what we understand from God's word to our thoughts and conscience, will and passions. I've written a few questions uh, which I thought I'd share with you and share on So Connected later, so you don't need to write them all down necessarily. Uh, I'd love to work with you at sharpening these um, to as we look to our Father to work by His Spirit through His Word to tune our heads and hearts to eternal reality. Uh, there won't be an answer for all of them um, from every passage we look at together. But I hope they'll be helpful as we move from making sure we understand the passage that's been preached with general application to helping one another identify personal and focused applications that arise out of the text. So we can ask, what is God telling us we should think? What is God saying to our consciences? What is God telling us we must choose and decide? Is God encouraging godly passions or exposing ungodly ones? And every one of us needs to further focus those implications on what God is saying to our own heads and hearts. Do I think what God thinks? How can I keep what he has revealed at the front of my mind? Does my conscience agree with what God says is good? Is a particular verse I can memorize uh, in order to train my conscience? And am I letting my my am I letting my conscience sound the alarm, or am I pulling its batteries? Does my will decide with God as my best guide? Is there a specific thought or, or, or a general thought that can uh, strengthen my will? Are my passions increasingly aligned with God's passions? What truth can I remind myself of in order to weaken or strengthen my passions? How can I engage my thoughts and conscience, will and passions in pursuit of God's purpose? Let's pray. Father, thank you that you speak the Bible to us. Please do make us humble hearers who tremble at you, the God who speaks to us. Please do tune our heads and hearts. Please tune our thoughts, our consciences, our wills and passions to eternal realities by your Spirit, through your Word. Please use us in one another's lives for one another's progress. And Father, we are absolutely and completely dependent upon you. So Father, as we aim to understand and apply, we look to you to enable us as we long to see our thoughts and conscience and will 
and passions reshapes. We look to you to do it by your spirit through your word. And we ask it through Christ and for his glory. Amen. Okay, as I mentioned earlier, I'll give you two minutes uh, to think and process, uh, talk with folk around you, and then we'll have some uh, time for uh, questions and comments. Okay?